MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, August 3rd, 2021. Today, Trump's lawyers signal they will block the Department of Justice's order for the Treasury Department to hand Trump's taxes over to the House Ways and Means Committee. Lindsey Graham tests positive for coronavirus and makes an appeal for people to get vaccinated. Pro-Biden groups plan to spend $100 million on an August ad blitz to promote the president's agenda. The Arizona fraud it ends, but their troubles are far from over. A third officer that responded to the insurrection has died by suicide. Democrats are calling on McCarthy to resign or apologize for joking about assaulting the Speaker of the House. And my boyfriend, Seth MacFarlane, wants to move Family Guy off of the Fox network to get away from Tucker Carlson. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everyone. Happy Tuesday. Well, Dana is still off, but I'll be joined later in the show by Amanda Reeder to discuss the good news and all of the other games that we play at the end of the show. If you want to submit anything to that, including corrections, if I get anything wrong, do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. I want to give fair warning. There is a podcat in the studio with me today. So if you heard any loud purrings or uh, angry, hungry sounds, those are coming from Captain Boobs. He's here with me today. And also here with me later in the show will be Barb McQuaid, former U.S. Attorney General and uh, University of Michigan law professor. And we're going to talk about the hitman analogy from Officer Dunn when he testified to the One Sex Commission. And we're getting ready to send out the details of the meet and greet this Friday in Lower Manhattan. So if you're not a patron, you can sign up now at patreon.com slash the daily beans. And then you'll be able to, uh, you know, get the information about where that's going to be. We'll have a cocktail together. It'll be fun. And we're doing this in lieu of the Zoom happy hour, so there will not be a Zoom happy hour for patrons this week. I do apologize, and I appreciate you allowing me to do this live meet and greet while I'm in Manhattan. All right, we have a lot of news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, first up today, several Democrats are calling on House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy to apologize or resign after he said it would be hard not to hit House Speaker Nancy Pelosi with the gavel if he becomes Speaker in 2022. McCarthy, who was the keynote speaker for the Tennessee GOP's annual Statesman Dinner on Saturday, we went over this story yesterday, was presented at the event with a giant oversized gavel, which looked like a participation trophy. It just made him look like a child. It was weird. He then told members of the crowd that they would be invited to his swearing in as House Speaker if Republicans won back the House. Democrats immediately denounced McCarthy's remarks as misogynistic, disgraceful and no laughing matter, especially given that Pelosi was a target of the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Several Democrats demanded McCarthy apologize, while others, including Swalwell and Ted Lieu of California, said McCarthy should resign, linking such rhetoric to the political violence that was on display on January 6th. Quote, there's nothing funny about hitting Speaker Pelosi or any woman. Leader McCarthy is a failed leader. That's what Rep. Madeline Dean said. And she said nothing will get in the way of his ambitions, including joking about hitting women to excite his small base. There's a lot of... uh, shade in that particular tweet from Madeline Dean. Quote, it's no wonder Kevin McCarthy can't control his caucus. He can't even control his own misogyny. Another little sort of pointed tweet from Lori Trahan, Democrat in Massachusetts. Quote, his language about assaulting Speaker Pelosi is despicable and certainly undeserving of a gavel. And Arizona Republicans partisan review, the fraud it, 
of the 2020 election results got off to a rocky start, as we know, when their contractors broke rules for counting ballots and election experts warned that the work was dangerous for democracy. When the auditor stopped the counting and returned the ballots this week, it didn't get any better. In the last week alone, the only audit leader with substantial election experience was locked out of the building, went on the radio and said he was quitting and then reversed course hours later. The review's Twitter accounts were suspended for breaking the rules. A conservative Republican senator withdrew her support, calling the process botched. And the lead auditor confirmed what was long suspected, that the work was almost entirely paid for by supporters of Donald Trump, who were active in the former president's movement to spread false narratives of election fraud. All this came nearly 100 days into a process that was supposed to take about 60 days. That's according to Senate Republicans who launched it, at least. And it's not over yet. Contractors are now producing a report on the findings that could take weeks or more to write. I know what it's going to say. 200,000 votes or so. That's what they've been saying. <laughs> so they've been coordinating. This turmoil casts even more doubt on the conclusions of what backers describe as a forensic audit, but what experts and critics say is a deeply flawed partisan process and what I call the Crazy Times Carnival Audit. Not even a shred of being salvaged at this point, said Senator Paul Boyer, the first Republican state senator publicly come out against the audit in May. They've botched it at so many points along the way, it's, it's irrecoverable. Now, Boyer's opposition was a little less lonely as of last weekend when another Republican, Senator Michelle Ugenti-Rita, one of the legislature's strongest advocates for stricter voting laws, agreed that the Trump audit, which is what she called it, <laughs> oops, was botched, along with all 14 Democrats, a majority of the Senate, which commissioned the audit, is now against it. Quote, I wanted to review our election process and see what, if anything, could be improved. That's what Ugenti Rita wrote on Twitter. Sadly, it's now become clear that the audit has been botched. Botched seems to be the word of the day. And again, she called it Trump's audit. On Wednesday night, Logan ended months of silence, that's the head guy, about who was paying him when he said a whopping $5.7 million had been contributed by political groups run by Trump supporters, including Michael Flynn, Sidney Powell, Patrick Byrne, that's the Overstock CEO who dated Maria Butina for a while, and correspondence from One America News Network. The figure dwarfs the $150,000 to be paid by the Senate. These are federal fucking crimes. They need to be investigated. Logan has said he was approaching the review objectively, and his own views are irrelevant, but Logan appeared in The Deep Rig, which is a conspiratorial film claiming the election was stolen from Trump. The filmmakers were given access to the secure area where ballots were stored. The review's integrity took another hit when former Secretary of State Ken Bennett, a Republican whose experience in elections lent credibility to the operation, found himself locked out of the building where the audit was underway because he'd given outside election experts data without authorization. Bennett told a conservative talk radio host he was quitting because he was expected to rubber stamp the findings. Later the same day, he said he was not quitting after all. Senate President Karen Fan, a Republican, agreed Bennett will have full access to all audit work and spaces, procedures, and data. When the cyber ninjas had hand-counted the ballots and it didn't match the county's official tally, the third count was ordered, this time using paper-counting machines to tally the number of ballots, but not the winning candidates. The findings have not been released. Maybe that's in that report that's due out in a month or so. Meanwhile, the timeline for that final report, late July was when it was supposed to happen. It's August third. So, mm, yeah, not so much. Twitter this week suspended audit-related accounts, as I said earlier, including the Arizona Review's official account and several others seeking similar reviews in other states. A Twitter spokesperson said the accounts were suspended for violating Twitter rules on platform manipulation and spam. 
So not going too well. Big, big waste of taxpayers' money in Arizona. Also today, an array of progressive and pro-White House groups plan to spend nearly $100 million to promote President Joe Biden's agenda over the next month to pressure Congress while lawmakers are on vacation. The push being announced Monday, coupled with a wave of travel by the president's top surrogates, is meant to promote and secure passage of Biden's two-track infrastructure plan. That's the bipartisan package focused on highways, transit, and broadband, and the Democrats-only budget reconciliation bill for child care and what the White House calls human infrastructure. Votes on both proposals expected in the weeks ahead are expected to be narrow, with Biden and Democratic leaders needing to keep in line a group of moderate Republicans for the nearly $1 trillion bipartisan bill, as well as ideologically diverse set of Democrats for the potential $3.5 trillion reconciliation package. So a lot of maneuvering that's going to be going on. An outside coalition of progressive organizations launched a war room and is planning to host over 1,000 events in August and actions over the next six weeks as well. The Associated Press is reporting this, and the goal, officials said, was to bombard the home districts of members of Congress with ads, both televised and digital, to keep the pressure on to follow through on their votes, as well as to underscore much of the agenda's popularity with the public. Last week, the Senate voted to advance the bipartisan infrastructure bill, 67 votes. That gave Biden a hard-fought legislative victory that, at least for now, seemed to justify his commitment to a bipartisan approach that some in his own party doubted. Me too. I'm me included. I'm waiting to see what happens. Both bills were expected to face debate and further votes in the weeks ahead. And from CNN, a D.C. police officer who responded to the Capitol insurrection has died by suicide. That's according to the Metropolitan Police Department. Officer Gunther Hashida, assigned to the emergency response team with the Special Operations Division, was found deceased in his residence on Thursday, July 29th, according to department spokesperson Kristen Metzger. Hashida joined the Metropolitan Police Department in 2003, 18 years ago. He responded to the Capitol on January 6th. This is the third known suicide of an officer who's responded to the Capitol during the attack, and it's the second known suicide by a D.C. officer specifically. Metropolitan Police Officer Jeffrey Smith a 12-year veteran of the force and U.S. Capitol Police officer Howard Liebengood, a 16-year Capitol Police veteran, also responded to the insurrection and later died by suicide. A recent Senate report into the security failures of the day lists both Smith and Liebengood among those who ultimately lost their lives following the attack. And Senator Lindsey Graham has apparently caught COVID at a party on Senator Manchin's boat. Manchin's office declined to comment. Now, Graham took to Twitter to encourage people to get vaccinated because Were he not, he says his symptoms would be much worse. I imagine Republicans will use this to spread more disinformation about the vaccinations despite Graham's tweets. As of today, 70 percent of Americans have received at least one dose of the vaccine. That was the July 4th goal. And a new study shows that 99.999 percent of vaccinated people have not had a deadly breakthrough infection. And. The relationship between Family Guy creator and my boyfriend, Seth MacFarlane, and he's not really my boyfriend, but I'm just, you know, be put out in the universe what you want. And Fox, Seth MacFarlane and Fox might be reaching a boiling point with Tucker Carlson to blame. MacFarlane, who created the beloved comedy in 1999 and voiced numerous characters, said a recent opinion piece by the Fox News host makes him wish Family Guy was on another network. It's unclear what piece McFarland is referring to, but in Carlson's most recent column, he claims without evidence that the CDC has been lying about COVID-19 and the vaccine. Look, Fox, we both know this marriage isn't working anymore, he said. So, McFarland's single, huh? Anyway, it's not the first dust up with Fox. He said in June 2018 he was embarrassed to work for Fox over separate remarks from Carlson. That's according to The Hill. McFarland later deleted the tweet. Season 20 of Family Guy will premiere September 26th on Fox. 
His other shows, The Orville and American Dad, have moved to other networks after premiering on Fox. And finally, late breaking news. Trump's lawyers have indicated they will object to the DOJ, the Department of Justice, Office of Legal Counsel memo ordering the Treasury Department to hand Trump's taxes over to the House Ways and Means Committee. And I'd like to implore you not to give a shit. Here's why. First, once the House Ways and Means Committee gets the taxes, whenever that may be, it isn't doing an investigation into Trump tax crimes. The scope is narrow here. They requested the returns. They told the courts they needed the returns to assess the effectiveness of the presidential tax audit program. Now, Richie Neal did not have to give a legislative reason. Per the law, the IRS shall furnish tax returns to the House Ways and Means Committee when they ask for them. Don't have to have a legislative purpose. But Richie Neal gave one and they have to stick to that scope. When they do get them, they can't make them public. But that shouldn't matter because last year, the New York Times got Trump's tax returns, a lot of them, and told us all about what was in them. The tax returns don't show foreign entanglements. So there's not much in there we don't already know about. We know he only paid $750 for a couple years. We know he had that conservation easement deduction for $21 million. We know, I mean, we know about it. We know Ivanka got a $800,000 or so fee for consulting when she already worked for the Trump organization. We, we know a lot of this. And even if the House Ways and Means Committee got the taxes today and they took a few months to go through them, and let's say they found crimes, even though they're not supposed to look for them. And let's say they made those criminal referrals to the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice would then take at least a year to conduct an investigation. But remember, the feds probably already have those referrals from the Manhattan District Attorney. If you remember the indictment, the big giant indictment, remember the Trump Organization got indicted and Weisselberg got indicted? That indictment from Cy Vance against the Trump Organ Weisselberg mentioned the word federal at least 30 times, I think exactly 30 times. So the Department of Justice knows Trump violated federal tax law. And if they aren't already investigating, they probably will be or they're waiting for or coordinating with with New York on it so they don't step on each other's toes. They're way ahead. They're two years ahead of this House Ways and Means thing. They've had his tax returns for a couple of years now. And then they got the Mazars documents earlier this year. And that's what contains the foreign entanglement stuff, probably. That's what's important, right? So I personally don't give a shit how long it takes the House Ways and Means Committee to get Trump's taxes. They have plenty of time to make recommendations to the presidential audit program before the 2024 election if they want to do so. And even then, if they wanted to propose a new law saying, you know, every presidential candidate has to release their taxes, does anyone think Republicans in the Senate would actually vote for it? And they might. There's plenty of time for that before the next election. So don't be sad. We already have everything we need and we've had it for a while. All right. Mandy Reedy is going to join me for the good news in a little bit. But first, I have an amazing discussion with former U.S. attorney and she's a professor at University of Michigan Law School, Barb McQuaid, about her latest piece for MSNBC about Officer Dunn's hitman analogy during his testimony before the Select Committee on the Insurrection and the legal considerations of that, too. It's a really interesting conversation. You don't want to miss it. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Thanks for supporting The Daily Beans. It's AG, and today's episode is brought to you by Upstart. The last year has seen so many Americans experiencing financial hardship. Uh, You can regain your footing with Upstart, though, and get things back on track, because with Upstart, you can finally feel the relief of being free of credit card debt. Imagine that. Upstart is the fast, easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. Whether you're paying off credit cards or consolidating high-interest debt or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple, fixed monthly payment. Unlike other lenders, Upstart looks at more than just your credit score. You're not just a number to them. They look at your income. They look at your employment history, stuff like that. And they can offer smarter rates with their trusted partners. 
With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. You can receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. After this past year, I know so many people are struggling. I So many personally, comedian and gig worker friends of mine have found themselves in a financial hole living off of these credit cards and just these huge interest rates. It's It's stifling. And I highly recommend that everybody... Check out Upstart. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. And don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided on your loan application. So just go to upstart.com slash dailybeans to get started. All right, everybody, welcome back. Today, I am happy to be joined by a University of Michigan law professor, former U.S. attorney, Barb McQuaid. Barb, welcome. How are you? I am well, AG. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We had a, a pretty big news day for the Department of Justice last Friday. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk to you about a couple of things. But first of all, you had penned a piece. Last week, we know the Capitol Police officers testified before the select committee on the insurrection. And Officer Dunn, among his colleagues, said we need to get to the bottom of who you know, instigated this attack on the Capitol. And he used a hitman analysis, which I thought was very on point because he said, you know, you arrest the hitman. But we also put the person who hired the hitman in jail. And uh, you, so you penned a piece today for MSNBC talking about, you know, the, the legalities and the ins and outs of that. Can you discuss a little bit about the importance of that analogy and, and how it fits into the insurrection? Yes, I thought it was a really interesting analogy. He answered that question when the committee asked uh, him and the other officers what they thought the goal should be of the committee. Um, and he said, you know, don't just find the hitmen, the people who committed the attack, but those who hired the hitmen. And, you know, under the law, we see the mastermind as being more culpable than the people who do the dirty work. So uh, somebody who encourages or solicits or incites another person to commit a crime is guilty of the substantive crime under uh, a theory of accomplice liability. Um, And in fact, for sentencing purposes, uh, the person who is the leader or the manager or the organizer gets uh, an enhancement for his sentence as an aggravating factor, that that is the person who sparked this crime to to occur in the first place. And so I I would think that in this instance, what Officer Dunn is asking for is, uh, you you know, he he didn't name names, but, you know, one name that comes to mind, of course, is Donald Trump with his speech on the ellipse that day. But I think it's got to be more than just that. The speech on the ellipse uh, was certainly a spark that that fueled some of these people. You know, the officer said, uh, I'm here because Donald Trump sent me. The president sent me. I, I'm here. I'm doing my patriotic duty. So he convinced them that of that. But I think they need to go a little deeper, um, not just his comments that day, but uh, what other conversations did he have? And so talking about all the people who were around him on January 6th, I think, is really important. Um, and then even before that, we're learning about in December how President Trump was talking to DOJ and urging them to help. Uh, declare that the corruption that, that the election was corrupt. Just say that the election was corrupt. Mm. We have learned uh, in recent days. And so, um, also, were there people who were funding people who went to the Capitol on January six or organizing them or using disinformation on social media to encourage them? You know, those are the people who hired the hitmen. And I think we need to 
to dig a little deeper to, to find those people. Yeah. And I know, you know, we've on this on this podcast and on Mueller, she wrote, we've used the analogy of the, the hitman analogy quite a quite a few times, especially when we're talking about cooperators. Mm-hmm. And we, we we often bring up the analogy of Sammy the Bull Gravano. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And his, you know, all of his murders, but it's it's always the, you know, some one of the generals that that sends these folks out to do these crimes, and and they always they're they're the targets in these cases in general, you know. And so, I was wondering too. You mentioned this recent information we got from the Department of Justice notes from Richard Donahue handed over to to Congress, uh, where where Trump says, you know, hey. Just say the election was corrupt. We'll take it from there. It reminded me a lot of the Zelensky call, by the way. Yeah. But I know that the Citizens for Responsibility of Ethics in Washington filed a criminal complaint talking about it violating civil rights laws, you know, maybe uh, sort of interfering with people's votes by doing that. But are there any other sort of federal crimes now that I have you here that that kind of rise to? I mean, I thought of seditious conspiracy. Yeah. But I'm wondering what other sort of federal crimes I know they're looking at this locally, like in Fulton County. And then those they have very specific crimes about interfering in their elections, almost seemingly written for what Trump did. But what kind of federal crimes could possibly this administration, Meadows, Trump, et cetera, be on the hook for in that particular, I mean, we know it's an impeachable offense. We impeached him for it when he when he said it to Zelensky. But for is there any other way to hold him accountable for this behavior other than to just know about it? Yes, I think that the Department of Justice could investigate and, in my opinion, should investigate uh, this as a criminal uh, act on its face. This call, you know, I, I would want to certainly talk to Jeffrey Rosen. I would want to talk to Richard Donahue. I would want to understand all of the context from this. But uh, it is a crime for anyone to command or attempt to coerce another person who's a federal employee to engage in political activity. And that includes working for a candidate. So to the extent President Trump was enlisting Rosen and Donahue to use the machinery of the Justice Department to help him win his election. That alone is a violation of the law. The the statute is a a three-year felony, 18 U.S. Code, Section 610, which makes it a crime to uh, command someone else to violate the Hatch Act, which prohibits uh, political activity. But I think that is only if we look at this call in isolation. I think if you look at the bigger picture and you can investigate who else was assisting, whether it's Rudy Giuliani or Mark Meadows or some others around President Trump, I think there is also already grounds to investigate what's known as a Klein conspiracy. Um, I think when we think of conspiracy law, we think of the traditional version, which is an agreement to violate some other statute. But a Klein conspiracy is an agreement to defraud the United States by obstructing some operation of government. Robert Mueller used the Klein conspiracy charge when he indicted the Internet Research Agency. He said that their collective actions were designed for the purpose of obstructing the work of the Federal Election Commission and other federal agencies. And so in this instance, I think we've got a group of people who are potentially working together to subvert Congress in its duty to certify the election. Uh, you know, the theory was if you can throw up enough chaos and uh, cause enough doubt in some of those states and encourage enough members of Congress to vote against certification, then the election gets thrown to the House. And in the House, the decision is based not on how many members of Congress there are in total, where Democrats had a majority, but which party has the majority of delegations. It's every state gets one vote. 
And looking at it that way, Republicans had 26, the majority. And so if they could just get that, throw out enough, you know, tar- which states do we target? Arizona, Michigan, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. If we can get all those thrown out, now maybe we throw it to the House and we throw it to the House as a Republican majority who might elect Donald Trump. I think that's the game plan. Mm. And so all those different things that were being done to undermine confidence in all of those states may have been a conspiracy to do this. So the Klein conspiracy would be a conspiracy to undermine or to defraud the United States by ob- obstructing the conduct of government. And, and, and that could be obstructing the certification on January 6th. So that's another time. I also think, you know, some of the ones that we've already seen filed against the January 6th defendants, like uh, conspiracy to obstruct a federal proceeding, obstructing that vote that day physically uh, could be used. So there are a number of potential charges. But, you know, what you first do is if you've got enough, you may open an investigation. And that allows prosecutors to use grand jury subpoenas to get text messages and emails uh, in terms of the um, the records, to get search warrants for the content of those messages, to put people in the grand jury and compel their testimony to find out what really happened. And so I think there's sufficient evidence now to predicate, meaning you know an, a, enough of a basis that this is not a fishing expedition. There's a factual basis to believe that a crime may have occurred to investigate that and take, you know, take the case wherever the evidence leads and, and then base charges based on those facts. Yeah. And I think the Department of Justice is kind of hinting that they sort of got that idea, at least with all the activity that went on mm-hmm. with them last yeah. week. And I want to talk about that, but I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? You bet. Thanks. Everybody, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Allison Gill. Nowadays, mass produced products are geared towards being quick and cheap to produce. And quality is not a priority. And, you know, I hate that because it's so unsustainable. And our sponsor today, American Giant, has set out to bring the best craftsmanship and attention to detail back to the marketplace. Bayard Winthrop, who's the founder and CEO of American Giant, was determined to make the best T-shirt possible because he wasn't satisfied with what was available on the market. American Giant's best-selling premium slub tee's iconic silhouette is made in the USA with quality care, made with custom heavyweight slub fabric that's not see-through and non-torquing, unlike other slub tees on the market. American Giant spent over a year obsessing over this fabric, and they tested several variations until they found the perfect one, and it's wonderful. It's made with 100% American-grown cotton with rich and varied texture that gives it a unique look. It holds its shape after wash and wear, and it holds color really well, too. With its custom fabric and tailored fit, American Giant's premium tee is incomparable to other tees on the market. The first thing I noticed about the premium tee was how substantial it was, yet how comfortable it was. The best quality clothes that look and feel great are American Giant. Get your new favorite tea at American-Giant.com today and use promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, for 15% off your first order. That's 15% off your first order when you use code DAILYBEANS at American-Giant.com. And today's show is also brought to you by BetterHelp. When you're struggling with anything holding you back from living a happier and more fulfilling life, BetterHelp is there to help. BetterHelp counselors can assist you in coping with life's challenges, and they can assess your needs and assign you to an experienced licensed professional therapist within 24 hours so you can begin communicating almost immediately. My experience with PTSD and anxiety has taught me it's better to seek help rather than to try to cope by yourself. And I know it's hard to ask for help, but BetterHelp makes it so much easier because it's so convenient. You can contact your counselor anytime by logging into your account from anywhere in the world. You get prompt and thoughtful responses and you can schedule weekly sessions with, uh, over the phone or with video. BetterHelp facilitates great therapeutic matches too by making counselor changes effortless and free. It's more affordable than offline counseling and financial aid is always available. So visit their website and read some of the testimonials like this one by user GA who says, I've seen a lot of therapists over the years. No one has even come close to Veronica. She actually listens to me and doesn't go into a session with a motive. That's really interesting. 
She lets me be in charge of my healing and I've had more success with her in a couple months than I've had in the last five years. So visit betterhelp.com slash dailybeans. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P. And join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. You can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash dailybeans. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking with former U.S. attorney and law professor at University of Michigan, Barb McQuaid. Barb, before the break, we were talking about criminal predication and um, some of the hints I feel that the Department of Justice may have dropped last week. Now, and I, I, they didn't drop them to drop hints. But this is, you know, the normal work, you know, workings of of the Department of Justice. But that sort of indicate that they might be looking at this or at least willing to look at this in a criminal investigative way. And that is, first of all, they said they weren't going to invoke executive privilege over former DOJ officials, which is huge for an institutionalist like Merrick Garland to mm-hmm. allow to happen. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, dropped the, the notes from Richard Donahue of the call that Trump made to Jeffrey Rosen, acting attorney general. And then, of course, the Mo Brooks decision. And that decision, I think, had kind of I thought it was bigger news than the mainstream media sort of portrayed it to be because, you know, it said in there, hey, First of all, it was a campaign rally, so you can't be certified. But if even if it's not that, the court shouldn't certify this because instigating an attack on the Capitol cannot be part of the job of a congressman or any federal employee. And I thought that that was a huge shot across the bow to anybody working in government at the time. The Department of Justice saying we aren't backing you on this because if the allegations in Swalwell's lawsuit are true, you instigated attack on the Capitol and that can't be part of your job or protected by speech or debate or whatever. You know, you can't mm-hmm. you can't do that. You can't you can't try to kill your boss as part of your job. That simply can't be the case. Now, so those sort of all kind of tell me either one, the DOJ is allowing Congress to fully investigate this and get the truth out there or two, they might be thinking about it as well, or at least they're willing to. I don't know. What do you read from all of these tea leaves we got last week from department? Yeah, I I agree that there was a lot of encouragement from those things. I mean, one, you're right. It is extraordinary to say there will be no executive privilege when it comes to the January 6th insurrection. And they said it was just extraordinary. And even if ordinarily uh, it may apply to some of these deliberations, they had ruled that um, members of DOJ and Trump administration, you may go forward. Uh, and provide unrestricted testimony. What's interesting and it made me chuckle a little bit about it is it was it was issued in such a positive way as if all these people are just dying to go tell their story. And good good news, you may provide unrestricted testimony, you know, as opposed to saying, hey, forget about thinking about uh, executive privilege as a shield here. Uh, you, you need to share the truth about what happened. So I thought that was encouraging. I don't know if it signals anything other than, you know, what they said was, for congressional committees who are trying to figure out what happened. It certainly bodes well for the January 6th committee that wants to learn what happened. But you are right in that if it applies there, it also will apply in any grand jury proceedings for criminal investigations. So that is a very important and interesting development. The other, I think, when you talk about the Mo Brooks matter, um, you know, you can't help but notice the parallels between him and Donald Trump. And so the Swalwell lawsuit uh, names not just Mo Brooks, but also Donald Trump and others. And uh, the idea that it is not within the scope of one's federal employment to participate in a campaign activity or certainly to incite violence is going to apply equally to Donald Trump. He's not going to be able to hide behind that same argument as he did in the E. Jean Carroll defamation lawsuit. It's a real about face, I think, for the Justice Department. Um, But here's how they distinguish them. They say presidents 
do have to give public remarks. And so when he gives public remarks about E. Jean Carroll and claims that uh, she's lying, that is protected. I disagree with that decision. It was interesting, too, in the Mo Brooks decision, how many times they said, here's when we do certify, Mm -hmm. even in extreme cases. And they all their examples were defamation cases. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Hmm, is that kind of you sort of trying to explain to us why yeah. the Eugene Carroll case came out the way it was? And then they even said, you can sometimes even commit a crime and we will certify and and step in as the defendant in your case if your crime is ancillary to one of your duties. But you, the burden's on you to prove that. But in no world is instigating an attack on the Capitol or a campaign rally mm-hmm. fall into the, into that scope. I thought that was I thought that was a very interesting point that they made. But presumably the D.C. U.S. attorney would be looking at all all of this. I think so. But I think when it is uh, rises to this level, I would have to think that the attorney general, the deputy attorney general would be intimately involved in um, in any of this. But that would be the jurisdiction, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, And, you know, the person running the U.S. attorney's office in D.C. right now is a very honorable person. His name is Channing Phillips. He served as acting U.S. attorney at the end of the Obama administration. He is a career uh, prosecutor. He worked as an assistant U.S. attorney in D.C. for many, many years for the bulk of his career, was at the attorney general's office um, during the um, Obama administration, working with Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch, and is certainly someone who takes very seriously his obligations to be fair and thorough. Um, and so I, I would imagine that you know he, he is the one who is now in charge of the cases against these 500-some individuals who stormed the Capitol that day. Um, but I would imagine that an investigation into the conduct of Donald Trump would go much broader than January 6th. I, I think you have to look at all of his public statements in November and December, maybe even before the election, when he was talking about how mail-in voting is uh, just you know ripe for fraud. Uh, and I think he was laying the groundwork uh, with all of that. Um, and what you really need, I think, are the private conversations. What was he saying to Mark Meadows? What was he saying to Kevin McCarthy, to Mo Brooks? Uh, to Tommy Tuberville, some of these other people. I think all of that, you know, even as lawyers, Rudy Giuliani, you know, there's a crime fraud exception to the attorney-client privilege. When they're fighting all of these legal battles in the states we just talked about, like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Georgia, Arizona, what was the end game there? Because, you know, I always thought, well, if you just throw out one state, that's not going to be enough. But was this a concerted effort to throw out just enough to overturn the margin of victory and, and thereby throw it to the House of Representatives? So I think all of that comes into play. Yeah. And a lot of people like are positing that he was thinking about with the violence at the Capitol and and, then invoking the Insurrection Act. But I I think if he were he would have done that because, I mean, he, you know, if if he had reason to, he had if he was gonna, I think he would have. And he almost did during the the BLM protests from last year. Yeah. And and I don't think we know yet what his intent and motive was. That's why I think an investigation is necessary. It may simply have been enough for him to create chaos, because if there's chaos, then he never has to concede victory. You know, he can always say, well, I really won. Let's just say I won <laughs> just to perpetuate that big lie because he just can't stand the idea of defeat. And he wants to be able to just say forever, I really won, uh, you know, in a very childish way. If I if we never finish the game, then um, 
then no one can ever say I lost. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to even before 2016, when he was saying, if I lose, it's because it was rigged. Uh, yeah. You know, and then we've got the, uh, Trump Jr. got those messages from from Assange saying, you know, if your dad does lose, you should really just say that it was rigged and you could use that to build your new media empire. Like it's just, it goes back. <laughs> it goes yeah, back. I mean, it, it, it is, 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 you know, when young children, you know, play a game, I'm just going to take my ball and go home because if we don't finish the game and no one can say I lost or, you, you know, you, you flip over the game of checkers and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To toss all the pieces on the floor because if, if the game doesn't finish, you can't lose. Yeah. We learned that at, you know, three or four years old. <laughs> that is very true. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm just walking away then and I win <laughs> because I don't lose. Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And, you know, you said that it, you know, was interesting because of what applies to Mo Brooks also applies to Donald Trump and that decision about certification. And, and you know, I had I had three red lines that I would be really upset about with the Department of Justice. The E. Jean Carroll case went right up to the edge there. But my three red lines are if they certified Brooks, if they certified Trump, and if they announced that they're not going to pursue obstruction of justice charges against a former president, because they have that beautifully in a book laid out with everything. Agreed. I feel like that would be a dereliction of duty (laughs) at that point. But with that Brooks decision, one fell swoop. They got rid of two of my red lines so that the that one is left. And then, of course, if you know they don't look into who hired the hitmen and in the insurrection. But I really feel like, given all of the stuff we saw last week, that they're aware. They know. I feel like they know there's criminal predication, and we'll see what happens. And 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 again, a lot of people are like we would have heard by now. I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I mean, that Tom Barrick indictment just sort of came out of nowhere and bit us yeah. all in the butts, right? They kept that real quiet. Yeah. You know, there's one thing I think is interesting. I think the media sometimes forgets that DOJ knows way, way more than we know publicly. So, you know, we tend to focus on what we know. And there's quite a bit out there in the public domain, like like these recently revealed notes about the just say the election was corrupt. But um, no doubt the Justice Department knows far more than that. Grand jury investigations are by definition, secret. And so uh, who knows? For all we know, they may already have uh, an investigation uh, uh, underway, but it is very likely that they know things we don't know. It's very likely that Jeff Rosen and um, Richard Donahue have told the department investigators all of these other details about what Donald Trump said to them. Yeah, which might have been a sort of the friendly air of the executive mm-hmm. privilege thing. I, sure. I feel I I have to think that there were conversations between Rosen and, and sure. the Department of Justice saying, yeah, yeah, I'd be willing to testify. Yes. Otherwise, it would have been more pointed, right? Yes, I think that's right. And so it could very well be that there is more to come. We just don't know. So we see these things that come out of nowhere. It could be that DOJ lawyers have been working on them for months and months. Yeah, I just want to encourage everyone to be patient with Merrick Garland. Yeah, Things don't happen as fast as we wish that they could. Yeah, no, good point. Boy, a lot of redeeming stuff from last week. But thank you so much for your time. Everybody follow Barb McQuaid. And uh, I really appreciate your piece. I really encourage everyone to read your piece on MSNBC Daily. And uh, it's been great talking to you. I haven't seen you in a while. So thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, AG. Great to be with you. All right, everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hello, everyone. It's Allison Gill for The Daily Beans. There are some things in life that I like to pick out myself, so I know I've got the one that's best for me, like mattresses, bottles of wine, U.S. presidents, so on. But what if you could do the same for hiring? Choose your ideal candidate before they even apply. That's where ZipRecruiter's Invite to Apply comes in. It's called Invite to Apply. It's amazing. It gives you, as the hiring manager, the power to pick your favorites from top candidates. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. How does Invite to Apply work? Well, when you post a job on ZipRecruiter, they send you the most qualified people for your job. 
Then you can easily review the candidates and invite your top choices to apply for your job. Lauren Webb, the SVP of talent acquisition for Mandula Health, has raved about ZipRecruiter's invite to apply. She says, I love that feature because we have a much higher follow through rate if I invite candidates. It's easy for me and it's easy for them, she says. In fact, according to ZipRecruiter internal data, jobs where employers use ZipRecruiter's invite to apply get on average two and a half times more candidates, which helps make for faster hiring processes. So see it for yourself. Just go to this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans, D-A-I-L-Y-B-E-A-N-S, to try ZipRecruiter for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And today's show is also brought to you by my favorite furniture company, Allform. You've heard me rave about my Helix mattress and how amazing it is and how incredible it is and how fast it arrived and how it's the best sleep I've ever had. Well, Helix has taken furniture out of the bedroom into the rest of your home with their new company, all form. They make high quality furniture to fit your personal style. Sofas and chairs are custom made to your specifications, delivered fast and free of charge. You can customize your own luxury furniture with premium materials, but at a fraction of the cost. With all form, you get to pick your fabric, which is spill, stain, scratch, and pod pet resistant. <laughs> uh, the sofa color, you pick the legs, uh, the color of the legs, the finish there, the sofa size, and the configuration to make sure it's perfect for you and your home and exactly what you need. I picked out a three seater sofa and I customized it with whiskey colored leather and a walnut leg finish, and it's got a little chaise at the end. It's really awesome. I love it. Um, besides being spacious and modern and comfy, my favorite thing is I designed it myself. The other great thing about Allform is how incredibly fast they deliver. Allform just takes three to seven days to arrive in the mail, and you can assemble it yourself in a few minutes with no tools needed. Allform has beautiful armchairs and love seats, all the way up to eight-seat sectionals, so there's something for everyone. And you can always start small and add on later if your family grows and you move into a bigger house. And best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months. And if you don't love it, no hassle. They pick it up for free and give you a full refund. They also have a forever warranty, literally forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for listeners. That's allform.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news is on the way. And like I said, our dear Dana is out this week, but providing us with commentary and excellent reporting on the good news is the uh, one and only Amanda Reeder, live from Canada. How are you? Token Canadian. Love to be the token Canadian. Um, (laughs) Also, speaking of all things Canadian, Jean Yoon, if you're listening, my mom wants me to tell you she's a huge fan and she really (laughs) wants to meet you next time we're in Toronto. So you have a coffee date with my mom, Jean. Oh, all right. Yeah. Convenience. Coffee date with your mom. I love it. I love it. She pressured me too. She said, did you not finish all the seasons of Kim's Convenience? Come on now. What's wrong with you? (laughs) It's such a good show. So cute. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Busy, busy, Mm -hmm. but good. Prepping for this trip to New York. And so I'm looking forward to seeing our patrons uh, Friday at 5 p.m. live for cocktails somewhere in this Friday, somewhere in lower Manhattan. Yeah. Heck yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. The patron meetups are so fun. So I'm excited <laughs> for you. <laughs> they really are. They really are just such an incredible group of people. And uh, if you're a patron, just we'll be putting that, we'll be posting that in the patron page so you can see it and send it to your email. Check your junk. But if you have any good news or confessions or anything, pretty anything, anything you want to send in, really, just except nudes. And I might even make exceptions there. You know, I mean, honestly, who am I kidding? But if you want to send anything and you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. So Mandy, I'm kidding. Don't send nudes. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I um uh, I was I was debating whether or not to like put my shit up on a dating website. And I was like, oh, I hate it. I hate it so much. So I'm like, nah. But I think what I'll, I tweeted, I was like, hey, I don't want to put my stuff up on a dating website. So just tell everybody. So <laughs> you should, you should, uh, but you know, what, what did they do back in the day? They made those like the video dating uh, ads. You should just like write a tweet of what you're looking for. This reminds me of that scene in Spice World where they're like, can't we just order a man like a, like a pizza? Why can't I just order a man like a pizza? That's what I want. So just write up your dream man, tweet it out. If you do not ask, the universe will not provide. And then we'll go from there. You know, that's very true. That's F very Tinder, true. F all the dating apps. I mean, they work yeah. for some people. But to be fair, I have multiple friends who are married to Cupid. But <sighs> I feel like, you know, you have a big Twitter audience. You never know. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. Mm. And, and that could also backfire that could very backfire. badly. That could backfire very badly. <laughs> Uh, but um don't take advice from me yeah no it's really the pop culture references that i'm looking for you know but yeah we'll see we'll see what happens i've got cats so i'm good well and you and also to be fair uh you you have my wife too you guys are also married <laughs> that's very true <laughs> that's very true so if anyone's listening for the first time today ever to the daily beads mandy's wife joelle has been my friend for 20 six years almost i think yeah that's longer than most relationships to be honest that's longer than most people have been alive pretty much totally yeah. do you want to kick off the good news my darling or should i i will kick us off with a submission from chris pronoun she and her hello to my favorite podcast peeps i want to share a misheard lyric from way back in my teens my mother is notorious for botching up a song and this one always makes me laugh there was a song called alibis by sergio mendez that goes i know your alibis are watertight but my mom would sing, I know your atomizers watertight. <laughs> she never knew or cared what the lyrics were and still doesn't. And would just <laughs> sing something else, something close. To be fair, the messed up lyrics were the best part of her singing. And we would all join in regardless of how bad we all sounded. Road trips were always fun back then, partly because no one could Google or, or surf the net. We would just sing loud and bad. I'm paying the pet tax with some shots of my babies. Miss Nadia Kitty Boots, who is an amazing snake hunter. And Zena, our rescue German Shepherd dog, who is our best social distancing tool. Yes, y'all are the best. And I see so much greatness in your futures. Keep up the good trouble and great reporting. Look at this dog. Uh, is In the second photo here is Zena, the German Shepherd, uh, getting into a little naughty trouble. Looks like Zena <laughs> may have torn apart a bed or a pillow of some kind. There's fluff all over their living room. Yeah, that dog bed has been destroyed. I hope it wasn't a my pillow guy dog bed. <laughs> oh no, let's not destroy those. And you know what? It looks like Xena probably likes to tear beds apart. So you know, maybe get a my pillow guy bed just for her to rip to shreds, and then you could post the pictures on social media. It would be fantastic. <laughs> and then look at this kitty. Oh, hello, oh. Nadia kitty boots with the fluffy pants. Look at those fuzzy pantalones. I love this cat. Okay, those are really good pantalones, to be honest. Those are. I have to tell you, Allison, uh -huh. you know how I'm usually a dog person? Yeah. Well, my sibling has a bunch of cats who are really, really, really darling. And I think that I may have fallen in love with a cat while here. Oh, well, you can't bring those home. It's a new experience for me. Can't get a cat at the homestead. Oh, no, I can't. I can't. But I'll have to come visit yours more often. My other wife, my wife, deadly <laughs> allergic to cats. Yes. Yes, she is. And we do not need wifey to be in any more health trouble at this <laughs> no. time. 
No. All right. Keep the breathing next one good. Is, so go ahead. Do Alex. the next two. Do the next two for okay, me. Cool. Actually, next one's also from Chris, but spelled differently. Just to switch it up. <laughs> Chris, he, him. Chris says, "I work as an estate planning attorney, and I recently signed my first advanced planning clients of the year. Congratulations." Then I signed my second right after. This year was pretty stressful before signing these clients. However, with these two cases, I more than tripled revenue for the year. I'm feeling pretty good about taking some time off for myself this year in the form of golf with my brothers instead of potential clients um, and a camping trip to Joshua Tree, which, gosh, that's so freaking beautiful place to camp or stay in an Airbnb. Mm-hmm. It also frees me up time to do a little pro bono work. Heck yeah. Excellent, Chris. I could use an estate planning attorney. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Totally. I've got so many finances with which to manage. Mm. All right. Next is from Jesse's adult. He, him. <laughs> Louis Gomert is dumber than believing Antifa was protesting an election that America won November 3rd. <laughs> Quarantine confession. We called the 12-year-old doggo and the toddler puppy. <laughs> you call the baby puppy too i love it that's oh my gosh that's a really cute toddler incel rectionist gang name maybe this is not something i know about <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah so there was a 16 count indictment on an aryan gang in florida oh. and they had nicknames like chain gang and uh, come dumpster i can't remember they were terrible terrible awful stupid nicknames so we were like well give us your insurrectionist gang names <laughs> i thought it said incel rectionists like it was talking about a story about incels well i think that's what they mean because insurrectionists are generally incels (laughs) okay 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 i wasn't sure if it was uh if it was a type of one purpose or if it really was referring to incels but that makes sense because if you are part of an aryan gang you probably are an incel so that makes sense um incel rectionist gang name backwash exactly the kind of guy you would hand you back your drink with backwash in it i got a good one toe jam there's put that would be a good one yeah Neckbeard. Mm. Neckbeard. <laughs> Triple chin McGee. Uh, mm. All right. Jesse says, uh, thank you for the facts, laughs, and fucking swearing like smart people. Yeah. Heck oh, yeah. look at this baby. <gasps> oh. The friendships between babies and dogs, man. I have a soft spot for that. <laughs> My ball, kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable. Look at the baby. How adorable. I like that you call them both puppy. <laughs> all right next up from steve pronouns he and him hello ag and all the rest of the beans angels you so often make my day listening to you is much like a form of therapy in this messed up world my wife dawn is the queen of misused misheard idioms and messed up phrases in the 29 years we've been married i've heard this brilliant and financially successful professional artist regularly blurt out these inexplicable things and i now need to share them with you often when it happens i start laughing and she says what's so funny Then I tell her what she just said, sometimes with an explanation of the idiom or phrase it might have been based on, and soon we're both laughing. (laughs) The following is from a collection I started writing down about 10 years ago. Yes! (laughs) It is by no means a comprehensive list since I'm sure many others were lost before I started recording them, and frankly, sometimes I just forget to write them down. First, the idioms. She's making a molehill out of an anthill. (laughs) He's not the brightest light bulb on the block. I love that because we say he's not the brightest crayon in the sea. (laughs) She knows what bread her butter is on. <laughs> try to try to put that in your hat and smoke it. All right. Do you bite off the hand you chew? Now whose shoe is on the other foot? <laughs> he sewed his bed, as in reap what you sow. 
I have my own drum and I beat it. (laughs) (laughs) I have my own drum and I beat it. It's fantastic. So good. (laughs) I hope you get a few laughs from that. God knows we need it right now. For my pet tax, here are a few pictures of our 10-pound, 7-year-old Bichon Maltese mix, Oh, Margie Gunderson. When we named her, we'd hoped she'd be as fearless as a heroic namesake, Francis McDormand in Fargo. Yep, Margie Gunderson. Ah, yep. But alas, <laughs> she's even been intimidated by a puppy half her size. Oh, well, she makes up for it by being super cute, smart, and a loving little cuddler. Look at her. This is what Joelle and I call a floof. Yes, this is a floof. It's a floof. It's much like our dog, Marley Moo. It's a small, fluffy floof. And look at the last picture. The, the dog is making a Marley Moo face. Yes, he sure is. Oh, I miss my baby. <laughs> I haven't seen him in two weeks. No. <sighs> All right. Next up is from Lola Gale. Oh, hey, Lola Gale. I know you. I remember you. One of our patrons, pronouns she, her. Hello, Allison, Dana, Amy, and all the crew working behind the scenes. I'm pretty sure you all know how much uh, I and others appreciate all the hard work you do every day to bring us the news, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Heck, everyone loves and appreciates each and every one of you. However, just once I wanted to turn the praise in the other direction, namely to all the listeners, patrons, and fans. Without y'all, this podcast wouldn't exist, and then where the fuck would we be? Truth. I can't even bear to think about it. The love and inspiration this lovely group of humans provide on a daily basis is definitely a textbook example of the phrase, it takes a village. Keep the good news posts up and the happy pet pics coming. And if you haven't already, look up and join the private patron Facebook group. We're generally a great bunch of people in there and we don't bite too hard. I simply can't imagine my life without each and every one of you in it on a daily basis. So peace, love, and puppies, y'all. Aww. Mm. And honestly, yes, you, you guys are so awesome. It's been super, super cool to meet and chat with you guys over the last few years. Lola finishes with, P.S. You've seen my putty tats so many times. I bet most of you know which is which. So let's see if AG can figure out whose silly mugshot this is. Hint, he's named after a cut of meat and his nickname is Meathead. So if you scroll down, you'll see. <laughs> yeah, this is pork chop. I know. Pork I, could, I recognize pork chop a mile away. And I wanted gray skull and then no. And then I said pork chop and they're like, no, they kept all five of the boys. So I was like, hmm. But look at those murder mittens. Mm, cutie. Yeah, he's awesome. Thanks for that, Lola. Yeah, I can't. I I hope I say it enough. And if I don't, I apologize. But this isn't possible without you. And this this community is seriously the greatest, most amazing thing I've ever been a part of. And I'm very proud of us. Next up and finally from Joy, pronouns she and her. Dear Beans Queens, I'm writing to say thank you. About two weeks ago, you read a reflection from my good friend, Tim, on the one-year anniversary of his mother's passing. Thank you, truly. Since Mary passed during COVID, we have not had a service for her. The pandemic has severely limited our ability to gather and mourn together. Listening to you read Tim's reflections and hearing your own reactions to Mary's amazing legacy stepped into that gap. You moved him to tears, and as his pandemic pod family gathered together, you provided space for us to all mourn her. We listened to you together and cried together and remembered Mary together. It was a singular moment of shared grief, and it meant so much to know we weren't alone. We're incredibly grateful. Thank you for sharing about Mary with the Daily Beans community. And thank you, Joy, for writing that. And it's exactly what Lola was just saying, this community. I know. Oh, my God, I'm emotional. I really am emotional. I've spent the last two weeks with my family for the first time in a long, long, long time because we weren't able to be together during COVID and just full of feelings right now. Making me cry with this good news. Me too. (sighs) Oh, all right. That's it. That's the, uh, mm-hmm. that's the last. And, and then of course we got porch up the photo right above that very beautiful sentimental thought, but, um, I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling back through looking at the floofs and the kid, the two puppies 
and uh, the German Shepherd and, and the the fluffy pantalones. These are so great. Thank you for sending these in. If you have anything you want to share, anything at all, you can do that by sending it in to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Mandy, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here today? I do not, but I did want to ask you to remind everyone where they can find out about your Friday patron meetup in case they weren't listening earlier. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, We're going to send that out on on the patron page and we're going to email it to our patrons. Sweet. And also we have another, I think, Supercast, we'll we'll put it there too, if you're a Supercast member, because some people signed up for ad-free stuff through Supercast instead of Patreon. Yeah, it's going to be in Lower Manhattan. It's going to be Friday at five. It will be in lieu of the Zoom happy hour. So I do apologize to anyone who wanted to be on the Zoom happy hour that can't make it to Lower Manhattan. But um, my my trip is just pretty wall to wall booked to be able to hold that Zoom meeting. So I appreciate you giving me the day off and allowing me to meet up with some folks in person. I'll be in your town at some point. I promise. Um, well, okay, maybe not. <laughs> I just realized I, I promised like 250,000 people like that I would come to their town specifically. <laughs> there may be some that I miss, but close to you in the contiguous United States and maybe even the UK and Australia, if I can make it. What about that country north of y'all? What? Canada. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm hearing my accent come back a little bit, honestly, while I'm here. And I'm like, no, it's time to go. <laughs> Sound like a character from the Trailer Park Boys. I'd love to go to Vancouver. I'd love to go to um, Toronto. But the thing is, with Toronto and Vancouver, I don't think the Canadians want our diseased asses coming <laughs> across the border right now. So <laughs> maybe we'll another see time. what happens when travel stri- restrictions are, are lifted. But everyone, please and thank you so much for sharing all this, uh, all these wonderful stories and 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 pod pet tax photos. Remember, if you don't have pod pet tax, you can always send in a photo of a local shelter animal up for adoption. We love that when people do that and share that. So thank you. And everybody, until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been Allison Gill. I've been Amanda Reader. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.